This is In the Ring with Sumo Heavy, a weekly e-commerce podcast with your hosts, John Suter, Bart Moraz, and Brittany Blackman. In the Ring features interviews with e-commerce leaders, as well as the latest news and strategies to give listeners actionable ideas and inspiration for their e-commerce businesses. The podcast is a production of Sumo Heavy, an e-commerce consulting firm with offices in Brooklyn, New York, and Philadelphia. Find us on the web at sumoheavy.com. Today we have on the In the Ring live stream, we have Josh Walter. He's the CEO and co-founder of BrandJump. Uh, BrandJump was launched in 2011, and over the last nine years, BrandJump has become the leading e-commerce sales and marketing firm in the home furnishings industry. Josh was also recently recognized by Home Furnishings Business Magazine, one of the leading publications in the home furnishing space, as a 40 under 40 leader. Congrats to you, sir. Recognized the 40 top leaders in the industry under 40 years old. Josh, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, guys. Excited to be here. All right. Well, let's just start off with uh, a little bit about you. Just a quick bio and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, but don't give everything away. We want to save a little bit, but... Just tell us about yourself, what you're all about. I'll make it short and sweet. So I was born and raised in Los Angeles, California. Went to undergrad at the University of Iowa after a very fun college experience, but very, but four very cold winters. Came back to Southern California, received my JD MBA at Pepperdine in 2008. While I am a member of the California Bar, while I was in school, decided that I didn't want to practice at all, but instead find a path to really building and growing my own business. So I co-founded BrandJump about 10 years ago. I still live in LA with my wife and two young children. I have four and five-year-old girls, and they've both had me wrapped around their fingers since <laughs> since the days they were born. Gotcha. I want to come, I want to circle back to how you got from law into e-commerce. But first, why don't you tell us a little bit about BrandJump and what it can do for e-commerce merchants? Yeah, absolutely. So um BrandJump's an e-commerce sales and marketing team. So we're not an internet retailer. We don't buy and sell products. We're a services company and we work for manufacturers exclusively in the home furnishings industry by creating and executing their wholesale e-commerce strategies. So our clients are manufacturers of lighting, furniture, and decor, and our mutual customers are major internet retailers throughout the U.S. that sell those products, whether it be Wayfair, Amazon, Target, Home Depot, et cetera. So we are charged with growing the business of these retailers on behalf of the manufacturers that hire us. We have a merchandising team, we have a creative team and a channel management team. So we get product online, we build content, we create marketing opportunities with these internet retailers, ultimately really with the goal of driving the strategic partnerships between brand and retailer to maximize volume potential. And what really makes us unique is that our team comes from the e-commerce space. So former merchants and buyers, who really have a deep understanding of how to best engage each partnership. So in short, you can think of us as the wholesale e-commerce arm on behalf of the manufacturer clients that we work with. Okay. So that's a very top level description. Can you, can you get a little more granular and, and talk about exactly what you give to the merchant? What is a good example when you say a marketing program or some content, what type of content do you, do you guys generate? So from a merchandising standpoint, manufacturers give us the product information that they have, so specs, imagery, et cetera. We enhance that information and then we load it into each of the individual internet retailers formats that are required. So whether it be uh, Vendor Central, Seller Central, Wayfair's Portal, Home Depot's Portal, or whatever it may be. Our creative team enhances that content. So 
work with about 10 different freelance copywriters. They're managing, building out brand stores, doing A-plus content, way more content with Wayfair. We're helping with product descriptions when they need to be tailored to specific um, internet retailers. We do product titles, um, help from an SEO standpoint. And then from a marketing perspective, where those internet retailers that have buyers and category managers, we are specifically engaging them and driving the strategic partnership. So whether it's fulfillment opportunities, whether it's promotional opportunities, because we work across different styles, uh, categories, brands, and price points, we make recommendations to the manufacturer as to how they should partner and drive their businesses with these retailers. And then they make those decisions and then we execute that strategy on their behalf. It's very interesting. So uh, here's the question now. I'm going to circle back. You went from, if I understand correctly, you went to law school or you were going to be a lawyer or how did you get in? How did you go from getting out of school to getting into furniture e-commerce specifically? <laughs> yeah. So I'll, uh, I'll keep this as brief as possible because it could be a longer version of the story. <laughs> so I... I went to law school, not entirely sure what I wanted to do with my life, but I knew that if it was something that was in business, that the law degree would help. And if it was something in law, obviously a law degree would be important. A couple years into the law program, decided to get my MBA because I was much more interested in the business route. And, and through that, decided that I wanted to find a an entrepreneur-run business that I could learn, grow with, and then basically scale. So long story short, I joined a small decorative lighting sales agency in Southern California about a year and a half before Brandjump was born. In the decorative lighting business, manufacturers have agencies that are geographically based all over the country, and those sales agencies are responsible for growing manufacturers' businesses in multiple channels. So brick and mortar, health, hospitality, restaurants, office spaces. And at that time, 11 years ago, those agencies, uh, so our Southern California agency was also responsible for e-commerce because manufacturers at that time consider them retail. So I was personally responsible for growing the businesses for a handful of small internet retailers that are geographically based in Southern California. And the owner of this agency and I quickly realized that the needs of these retailers were far different from brick and mortar retailers and that the, the traditional agencies were not supporting them properly in other parts of the country. So we started by speaking to our light, lighting clients about the idea of managing all of their e-commerce business across the country based on our success with, the, with those that are in Southern California. A number of them gave us a shot. The person that I worked for at the time, we formed Brandjump together as a separate entity. And then now 10 years later, we're in multiple categories within the home and work with about 30 manufacturers and 75 to 100 internet retailers. Wow, it's a great story. Not a direct line from law school to business, but I know a few lawyer, a few almost lawyers that did the same thing. And in every example, they made the right choice. They thought, ah, law, I'm going to do good things. And they went, oh my God, it's so boring. <laughs> they wound up becoming very, very successful business people. So uh, maybe there's a correlation there. Uh, so what, what are the benefits of centralizing an e-commerce channel management strategy? Uh, that's a lot of words there, but if you could break that down for our audience. Sure. So, you know, so as I mentioned earlier, manufacturers in the home furnishing space, they have traditionally had their territory reps manage their e-commerce accounts. And what this meant was for a very fragmented strategy all over the country. And while each of these Internet retailers, as you guys know, whether it's Amazon, Wayfair, Home Depot and others, they, they all have they all have independent strategies 
there's a real need to centralize the management of their businesses in terms of what's required for manufacturers to support them. So, you know, when you think about merchandising and content, there are, there are, these are things that while they should be tailored to each internet retailer still must be consistent from the source. So product information, imagery, descriptions, they need to come from one place. And if they don't, the brand can be represented considerably differently all over the internet. So from a branding standpoint, centralization is key. And when you think about marketing strategies, it's equally as important. So each retailer, they have different marketing strategies, different events, but a centralized approach allows for more control over how the brand is being promoted, where, and then how that impacts other channels of distribution, which are very sensitive in the home furnishing space when it comes to, you know, like contract and hospitality and whatnot. Do you get involved in the creative process? And, and I'm going to speak more on that creative side of it. Do you find a, a client and you say your brand assets may be suffering? We, we, we're here to help. Or do you just kind of say, all right, that's what it is. And we have to work with it. Or how involved do you get in that? I would say that it's somewhere in the middle. The brand, you know, they have their, they have their images, they have their specs, they have, you know, some form of descriptions. And, and we certainly enhance those and tailor them to the needs of our mutual e-commerce partners. There are some internet retailers that require five bullet points, you know, instead of, or, or versus three. There are some that require keywords on the back end versus keywords on the front end. And we, we take what we have and we are, we are forced in many ways to enhance it. I would say part of the future of what we want to be as a company is we want to, at the brand level, work to enhance it even more, you know, making, it, making, making that information SEO friendly across all channels so that we can then take that information and then tailor it. So right now we're doing a hybrid of that, but we have, we have a little bit of room to grow there over time. All right, I got one more design question because this is something that I was involved in for years. Uh, you deal with a client that hands you, let's just say, not optimal assets. What do you do then? Um, do you mean like uh, like images? Yeah, images or whatever. I, I guess especially images if you're talking about furniture. So you have maybe someone who says, "Here's our assets," and it's some subpar photography. Do you have to sit them down and say, "Maybe we got to reshoot this," or how do you work around that? Absolutely. So, I mean, you know, we, we serve as their wholesale e-commerce arm. So if we're not actually doing something like taking the images ourselves or, you know, whether it's traditional photography or CGI, we are providing best practices. So something that we've done is we've taken like best practice image decks from uh, a Wayfair or an Amazon or an Overstock or others. And we've basically taken that, combined it and turn it into our own version that we can share with a manufacturer so they can really nail it on all fronts. So very much a part of our job is to act as consultant to help them elevate their game. And then we're also executing, we're executing how that works its way into the e-commerce channel, even if we're not actually specifically taking the photos. It's actually super interesting. And I, I know a lot of other brand categories that could benefit from this type of service. Have you ever considered branching out or starting a, a different subsidiary? Like what, why just furniture? Is that because you can be the specialist in that area or is it you haven't branched out into other segments yet? So I would say a few reasons. I, I, I would lead with when we think about a five-year plan, and how we can and how we continue to scale our business. 
there is absolutely a consideration of looking at product categories outside of the home. That said, you know, we work with in, in, you know, in a 10 year period, which is quite a long time from an e-commerce standpoint, we're only working with 30 manufacturers. So our investment with each of these clients is tremendous. And we really attach ourselves to them and we become almost like internal employees and we really become their full scale e-commerce team. And 30 manufacturers across five different categories leaves an immense amount of room for growth for us, even within the home. And in order to you know, maintain a profitable business model or one way to maintain the profitable business model is not necessarily you know, exponentially expanding our customer base. So within you know, Wayfair that makes up a considerable amount of our business or a Home Depot or a Target or Walmart, while they certainly do carry other product categories, we've gotten so specialized within home that it makes a lot of sense for us. And there's so much room to grow by just tacking on additional brands that those specific internet retailers carry. So, you know, as opposed to, you know, we have to hire a bunch of other account managers that are specialized with other internet retailers. If we went into the fashion category, for example, right. even though yeah. certainly there are some crossovers. So I think that, you know, it's not, it's not a, it's not a 2020 strategy, um, particularly with what's happening, you know, from a COVID standpoint and the COVID demand, so to speak. But certainly as we look towards, you know, maybe back half of 2021, 2022, it's something that we're definitely going to consider. Yeah. And it's definitely not a one size fits all thing. So something that may work in the furniture channel might not work so well in fashion or other types of categories. So I understand that. It's just super interesting that you guys are just so focused on that one category, but I can understand the strategy. So uh, getting back, touch briefly on dealing with the COVID situation. How are your customers responding to this, this quote unquote new normal? We've watched e-commerce explode over the last 10, 12 weeks. How is the furniture space faring? I would imagine you have a lot of you know, bored people shopping and a lot of remodeling. I would, I would think that that category is really exploding right now. What's your take on that? Yeah, I mean it's it's exploding as well for probably some, you know some of the reasons that e-commerce is exploding overall, but then there are also some additional specific reasons why home online is so strong, um, and I think that that's really evident when you look at the performance of companies like a Wayfair and Overstock who specialize in that category, and you know if you yeah. if you think about it, <laughs> and I, I've shared this with friends, you know, online retailers of home. They couldn't have, they couldn't have dreamed up a more advantageous situation for them. So, I mean, think about it for a second. Like, so if you're an internet retailer of home, if you're like a Wayfair, for example, can you could you come up with a better way to grow your business than to say, what if there was this situation where where everybody's all home. stores were closed or not appealing to be any? The tax deadline was delayed to July 15th, and then there was a then there was stimulus, so putting more money into people's pockets that were employed. People can barely go on vacation. They're spending less money on restaurants. They're certainly not going to concerts and sporting events. And on top of that, they're confined to their homes. <laughs> and in many cases, they'll be working uh, from home forever. So if you ha- if you are lucky enough to be employed, you have more you have more discretionary income uh, for home purchases, and you're staring at your home that needs improvement and you have nowhere to shop. So we've seen this translate. I mean, our our yeah. our business in May was you know was up 35 percent. Our business in June was up 50 percent, and that's across you know 30 manufacturers in all different categories of home. 
and July seems like it's coming in at around 40%. And the, you know, the, the, the trends aren't generation specific either. It, it's, it's not only millennials that are moving into their first homes and having families. And, you know, that was already a growing segment. I mean, we've, you know, I, I read that that 12% of people over 65 are now are now moving online. Like that's that's amazing, right? Like I was at my parents' house the other day, and my mom was shopping for an umbrella, and you know, and, and she's in that age range. And and where do you think she was looking, right? She was looking on the front gate. And and the challenge for her was, while it was the only place that she was going to look, she still was having trouble trying to figure out how to navigate the site. So like there there's. You know, there's an element of, you know, adoption that's, that's being forced there, obviously. And I think that, you know, I, I would end it by saying, you know, the, the way our brands are responding is that the channel conflict that they once dealt with is diminished tremendously, right? They're being extremely supportive. Like the handcuffs that we had on us in some cases are being removed. And right now, one of their biggest challenges is making sure that they have enough inventory for the channel, right? Because they lower their purchasing right. dramatically because of the unpredictability of COVID and, you know, they're not going to be in the, the spot that they want to be in until fourth quarter. Yeah. I mean, obviously we've seen that Bart, you can chime in on this other clients of ours and other segments dealing with supply shortages adjustments, yeah. but while their business is, is literally blowing up, it's, Booming. it's a strange place to be in. Yeah, certainly. It certainly is. COVID realities aside, what are, what other trends do you see in e-commerce today? So, um, you know, I, I think that COVID, non-COVID, you know, any business out there, regardless of industry, will have to have a digital presence. You know, anybody that got away with it prior will really struggle, regardless of the size of their company and regardless of how great their brand is. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, the, the change that we're experiencing is not generation specific like it otherwise once was. In terms of trends, you know, I think that Something that we are all we are we are all together already seeing in the news is that those large brick and mortar retailers that will survive. Right? We don't need to talk about the ones that are that are obviously going away. Those that are that are surviving um, and are very strong, they're going to decrease their physical pr- footprint. You know, considering considerably in terms of number of locations, of course, and then probably you know size of those locations over time. I think that the other thing that's happening is that the product page online. It's, you know, there, there was a time that it was really picture and price, and it's really moving to best in class digital packaging that is truly, you know, it's unmatched, you know, in a store, you know, mm-hmm. multiple images, videos, 360 degree, you know, views, augmented reality. And eventually, you know, when I think about home, like virtual reality would be an incredible thing. I mean, augmented reality has already been a game changer, but virtual reality would just be nuts. I think speedy delivery while I think at the, you know during COVID, customers have a higher tolerance for longer lead times right now. I think that's really short term. Speedy delivery is really going to transcend all product categories. So you know when I think about the space that I'm in, you know custom upholstered furniture. That's something that people have always had a tolerance for longer lead times. That's really going away. And if manufacturers can't figure out how to get into that one to two day delivery, regardless of category and price point, I think that they're really going to suffer. And then lastly, you know, I think that smaller pure play internet retailers are really going to struggle and they're going to fade away. Those that really only competed on, you know, price, there will still be smart, small, you know, curated niche sites that have a voice and that, you know, because they've learned to talk to their customer. But if it's really something where, you know, they've just done a good job, you know, 
as a seller on Amazon or you know through Google Shopping and whatnot, where they once could have a business out of it. I think that that goes goes away completely. You know, yeah, and, and you have right. That's a good point. You have your niche chains like you know make it restoration hardware like those little stores that sell you know very expensive high end stuff. I think they'll always exist, but I think the mom and pops and the small chains are either going to have to, as you said, smaller footprint or just go away completely, which is unfortunate. But one thing that was always fascinated me about furniture e-commerce, it's always seemed to be challenging in that consumers are traditionally were hesitant in buying something as big as important as a sofa. And now that barrier has broken down. How has that evolved? Is it just from trial and error? How do you think we got here? Obviously, when you say first in class digital packaging, where you're talking about VR and, and things like that, that let you get closer to the product, but it's still not the same. Like I always had a problem with buying a mattress online because it's like a very, it's like a thing that you're going to use all the time and you can't touch it. How do you, how do you overcome that hurdle? So I think it's really, it's, it's some of the things that you've said, but it's really a convergence of a number of different things that internet retailers have done to truly, you know, elevate the shopping experience and focus on the customer. So when you think about the furniture industry, it is a very, skew heavy long tail industry. It's not like it's three great toasters that sell a hundred million units a day, right? So most right. brands that we work with have between you know 5,000 and 10,000 unique skew combinations. And that doesn't even include the, the custom ones. So we work with a, uh, with a custom upholstery manufacturer and they have like 10,000 fabric options. So you can imagine exponentially what that looked like. So internet retailers, you know, they, they not only offer selection, but their searching tools and their filters and algorithms have gotten smarter and smarter. And home is a very personal uh, shopping experience. It's not like buying a new computer monitor. It's a considered purchase and going somewhere online that not only gives you the chance to select price point, size, color, material, but also as a product page that has AR integrated into it so the customer can see what a coffee table looks like while they're sitting on their couch, in front of their couch. And if you combine that with customer reviews, the customer review element, it allows you to remove some of the touch and feel element that you referenced. You know, put that all together and if you can ship a, a sofa in, 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 uh, in two days, that's $5,000. It's, it's hard to consider even thinking about going back to a store once you've once you've tested the waters there. And I think that now that people are tasting that, that otherwise would not have because of the COVID, you know, forced, you know, things that are happening, I don't see things going back to where they once were. Yeah, no, great answer. We totally agree with that. All right, let's talk a little about marketing. We noticed that Brand Jump took advantage of the captive eyeballs at home and sponsored a webinar series uh, was aimed at the manufacturers and players in the home furnishing space. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I'd love to. Thanks for asking. So with, with all the challenges that are taking place in the industry and you know what we were just talking about, the growing evidence of an accelerated behavioral shift online, we felt that there was really an opportunity to help to try and better educate the industry on the key components of creating an e-commerce strategy. So like we really, we kind of did a, an e-commerce 101, but then it transitioned into some into you know strategies that became more complex depending on where a manufacturer was in their embracement of e-commerce. So we started with the fundamentals, how to set up your e-commerce program on the front end. So product assortment, pricing policies, how to select the retailer, you know, like who do you want to partner with, and then you know 
things to consider when, when, when thinking about what resources are required to upload products online. The second webinar was operational best practices. So backend strategies that include like inventory feed management, transactional processes, replenishment forecasting, and then even thinking about how to achieve two-day delivery if you don't have multiple fulfillment centers yourself. And then we finished our third webinar was online content marketing strategies. So enhanced content promotions and, you know, like really how to partner with internet retailers at the channel level when you're driving promotional campaigns and then how to work with them individually and how to mix all of that together. And we were, we were blown away by the attendance. So the timing was obviously right. Captivity. Um, we had attendees from retailers, from manufacturers, and we had like leadership teams uh, of each of the of each of these that were attending. It was pretty exciting for us. Yeah, that's great. That sounds really good. So, what's your what's your overall customer acquisition strategy? How do you pitch a client? What's the one thing that you sell them, and how do you how do you find clients? Is it referrals or is it just you know? Yeah, so we have a, we have a pretty specific client profile, and in the early years, as we were building the business, you know, we pounded the pavement. We went lots of we went to lots of trade shows. We would speak to manufacturers that we believed were a good fit. And in the early near years, you know, it was it was really a numbers game. And while we while we still specifically target certain manufacturers, as we grew, you know, the uniqueness of our model allowed you know the word of mouth and referrals uh, to become very critical to our growth. And, and over the last two years. We've really shifted to more of a strategic, proactive outbound marketing strategy through a really great PR firm that we work with. And they've really helped us build our brand in the home furnishings industry outside of just that little lighting category that we started in. In terms of what we, in terms of how we actually um, speak to them and, and, and what, we're, what we're selling, so to speak, it's selling a channel management strategy. So what makes our business model unique is that we are looking at you know, how do you take a five to $10 million online business across 15 different internet retailers and grow it to 30 million? That's very different than others out there that have similarities to us that are Amazon specific agencies that are specifically trying to grow an Amazon business. Our, ours is really about how do you take this channel and make it much more significant? And our team comes from that space, right? So we have four people from Wayfair, one from Amazon, one from Overstock, you know, three from One Kings Lane, three from Target. We have hired a team around the country that understands what's under the hoods of these retailers so they can better drive and create the path of least resistance to help these manufacturers really grow. And, and that, that becomes the ultimate selling point is, is really this kind of turnkey approach that we can offer a manufacturer. Yeah, and it sounds like your team is a big selling point there in that they have experience in the channel. But who is your competition? Do you, do you compete against stri- just straight up advertising agencies or who is who is your competition since you are so focused on the one channel who who would compete against you so <laughs> you don't have to be specific but like what type of agent like is it advertising agency? i hate to so I, I i i hate people that say this but i mean i'm going to say it anyway in terms of our 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 core model this channel management business where we where we essentially operate as the e-commerce arm on behalf of these brands and we execute the merchandising creative and the and the daily marketing strategy from an e-commerce standpoint, we have not found a direct competitor to that model. Now that said, there's a lot of competition with aspects of the model, right? So we use a PIM in our merchandising strategy. There are tons of PIMs out there, like a Salsify, you know, and others, right? Can so you explain what a PIM is? 
Yeah, so PIM is product information management, and we are actually, you know, to be fully disclosing, we're we're about 85% of the way through our implementation of bringing technology into our, this technology into our business. So what it is, is it's a, it's a centralized platform. You can store all of your digital assets, so specs, imagery, et cetera. And it allows you to have a better understanding of what you have and what you don't have that's required to get, to get products up online to certain retailers. It helps you more, better organize information. And then some of the really good PIM software systems they have connectors or APIs where they um, can work directly with the internet retailers so that once you build out those specs and imagery, it'll create a certain degree of automation to connect directly into Amazon's vendor central, seller central. So you, you change something in the PIM and it's automatically reflected across the board. It's not necessarily uploaded, but you can track that it that you can you can then push the button to upload it essentially. Got it. Right. Depends on my PIM. Are you just gonna are you building PIM? Is that what's kind of what's happening, or are you just gonna integrate to other PIMs that are out there? So we're we have we have found a PIM of of the you know dozens that exist out there that made mm-hmm. the most sense for our model. So it's not so that the PIM is not proprietary. How we're using it and integrating into our overall business—that's the proprietary aspect of it. So I think that gotcha. you know, going back to your question of like, what's the competition? So we manage Amazon businesses on behalf of brands. There are mm-hmm. Amazon-specific agencies. They compete against us for that piece of it, but the channel management part is what makes us most unique. Gotcha. Cool. All right, I understand a little bit better now. All right, so let's talk about about your business. You guys, I understand your company's private. Are you looking for investment or are you just plowing everything back into the business and trying to grow organically or what's, what's your plan? Yeah, I would say, you know, primarily the latter. You know, we're, so we are private. We're fortunate to not have any debt. You know, a, a mentor of mine a long time ago said that debt is the enemy, treated as such. And I've always, you know, kind of taken that to heart. But that said, we've been, you know, we've been really focused on, you know, reinvesting the cash flow into both talent and technology especially as of late with technology. And, you know, I would say never say never for outside investments, but we enjoy being in a position where we are the ones that control, you know, our own destiny. Yeah, no, I agree with that. So what are the big challenges, risks, or pain points that, that Brand Jump is facing right now? I mean, besides the COVID thing and businesses exploding, what what's what's kind of challenges you have in front of you? Yeah, you know, with the with the advent of COVID, our risk factors have changed quite a bit. So as it stands today, our our single largest risk is the, I hate to say this, the solvency of our clients, right? So we may be managing 20% of a manufacturer's revenue, but if the other 80% is struggling, you know, our risk is that their e-commerce businesses don't keep them afloat. You know, thankfully, home furnishings in general has picked back up over the last 60 days, which is really nice and kind of interesting given some of the things I said earlier, you know, across all channels. But, you know, our, so our concern is lessened over the last 60 days, but COVID is far from over. So we're, you know, we're, we're watching things pretty carefully. I would say that right now our, our biggest challenge and pain point is properly and profitably managing the growth of the business. So we have an extremely high cost of labor. And then obviously the technology investments are significant as well. And you know we're continuing to really invest to meet the demands of our clients, which are only growing given the acceleration of what's happening right now. And it's, you know, it's a delicate balance. Yeah. So I'll mark you down as cautiously optimistic. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but we're all trying to be optimistic. 
uh, yeah, and so absolutely. it gives me another question here. What advice do you give merchants during this strange time? Is there anything, someone that is struggling, uh, what kind of advice do you give them? Is there any kind of uh, sage wisdom or do you just kind of go crush fingers, hope everything's going to be all right? I mean, <laughs> no, not necessarily. I mean, you know, I think that for manufacturers, specifically in the home category, don't wait to invest in your e-commerce business. I mean, I, I know the industry in many ways has been scared to embrace it because of the, because of how important brick and mortar is in this channel, right? Again, to your point earlier, touching, feeling, like that does matter to a lot of customers. So brick and mortar right. is still a huge piece. If you can't, you know, invest full, you know, in a fully integrated e-commerce program at the time, at this time, like you can still dip your toes in the water and, you know, perfection is the enemy of progress, right? So get in and do it. And I, and then I think secondly, you know, there's, while there's still a significant amount of unpredictability and demand, e-commerce has become more predictable and not having enough inventory has become a huge problem. And the yes. most sophisticated retailers out there, they have really get, uh, great forecasting tools that are seldom used by manufacturers that are, that are a little bit less sophisticated. So if manufacturers are going to decrease their purchasing because their overall monthly demand is lower, then at least don't make it, you know, don't take broad brush strokes, right? Like take a scalpel and really think about what you're going to decrease your inventory in. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great. I mean, it's this, this the whole thing just took everybody out of whack basically. <laughs> yeah. We'll no totally problem. agree with you about dipping your toe. There's so many opportunities now to get online with, and with less friction than there used to be. Mm -hmm. uh, you could even start off with just, I mean, Bart and I talk about this all the time. It's like, just put an Instagram page on, sell from there. If you've got this nice yep. niche product and it doesn't have to be just furniture, it could be anything. I mean, the barriers are just dropped. I mean, there's just no reason why anyone shouldn't be investing in digital right now. All right, so we're gonna round this out. We're gonna talk a little bit about you, Josh. We're gonna put you in the spotlight here. Being an entrepreneur is challenging work. Managing your time and energy is critical, especially now working from home. It's even more important, especially if you're married and have kids. So any tips or experiences that you'd like to share? Yeah, I think, you know, tips for for entrepreneurs, I think specifically, you know, the, the work is endless. COVID, no COVID, you know, as an entrepreneur, you are there to lead, inspire, and grow. There's always something you can be doing. You know, one of my favorite Mark Cuban quotes is, you know, work like there's somebody working 24 hours a day to take it from you. So this is something that motivates me every single day. And I always think about that. How do we, how do we make sure that we you know, survive and thrive again, regardless of COVID? But that said, you know, there's, there's a balance there. And I think you need to really give thought to why are you working, right? So probably fulfillment, financial freedom, more time with your family, you know, and, and other things. And, you know, I, I try to balance the motivation with why I'm actually working. And for me personally, a big part of it is spending time with my family. So, you know, I, I make sure to focus on that now, you know, it's, it's the journey, not the destination. So thinking you're going to have more time in 10 years is really, is just not realistic, you know, taking care of yourself and your family, you know, and, and for me, in, in order to do that, a huge part of my, a huge Part of my time is spent on just building and refining a great team. The team is what drives the business, not me. So having a best in class team is what allows me to have the balance that I need to see my wife and kids every morning, every night and the entire weekend. And, you know, I would say that one of my favorite Steve Jobs quotes is, you know, it doesn't make sense to hire uh, smart people and tell them what to do. We hire smart people so they can tell us what to do. So, <laughs> right, so to me, 
That means build a great team and empower them to take risks, yeah. make mistakes, and make decisions. Yeah, uh, that's great. You sound, you sound like a good manager. Okay, so um, <laughs> what's the best advice you'd give an entrepreneur or startup right now? What's the best tip you give someone who has an idea and is struggling to move their idea forward? Yeah, it's tough, right? In, you know, particularly in this in this time, right? But I think that the, the the advice that I have is is applicable, you know, COVID or no COVID. The first is the importance of business mentors. You know, I've had about five mentors over the last ten years, and each of them still play a different and equally important role in both my, both my business life and my personal life, ranging from a mentor that I met in school that helped me design this kind of oddball path that I'm now on that seems to have, you know, somehow worked <laughs> to my to my now business partner, particularly early years and an industry specific consultant that's evolved into an executive coach for me. And then even my family, uh, my parents, my wife. I mean, I think that, you know, learning from somebody else's experience who has done what you are aspiring to do, it's it's not only humbling, but it's powerful. I mean, I think that it helps with the heartache during the lonely times of of entrepreneurship, and it will prevent you from making some mistakes, you know, along the way. And, and the the other thing is, and this is a Jeff Bezos thing, which I love. So build lots of small buildings, not just one tall building. So you know, he said, if you if you decide that you're going to do only the things you know you're going to work, you're going to leave a lot of opportunity on the table. So what it means is that you got to try things, place small bets, plant seeds. Some of them will grow, some won't. It's really the only way to evolve as a company. But that said, I think the caution, particularly during you know this odd time that we're in, is I've learned my lesson in not placing all the exciting bets at the at the same time when you're <laughs> privately funded yeah. and you want to be debt free. So it's important to try things, but also understand your financials, make sure that you're managing cash flow properly. Yeah, and getting back to you know the entrepreneurs right now in this special time. What Bart? What's my favorite quote? Never let a good uh, crisis go to waste. I mean, it's yeah. I think there's a lot of opportunities out there, and you know, for people who have ideas, you know, what you said about mentorship and feedback is, I think it's really critical, uh, especially in business, that that people should really look look to others and try try not to do everything on their own. So I totally agree with your reply there. What would you do if you weren't doing this, Josh? <laughs> so. You know, if you were to ask me 10 years ago, I'd probably tell you some type of corporate law. I mean, in that regard, because of the amount of work that went into the education, not to mention the cost, you know, I've, I've kept my license. I still pay my $500 a year bar fees, as painful as it is. And I still do the continuing legal education courses. But, you know, with the last 10 years and the experience that I've had, you know, there's been great times. There's been really challenging times, you know, working with a team to build you know, something out of nothing. You know, I've now had the taste of building, growing, and collaborating with with an excellent team, working with high-level talent. I could never go back and not do something like this. You know, I don't know what industry would be. Maybe health and fitness infused with technology. I, I don't know. I mean, but for me, whatever it would be, I would need to find a way to have a stake in that business at this point. Yeah. You know what? It's funny. I ask this question in all of our interviews, and it's always very similar. It's like, I don't know if it would be this, but it would be similar. It would be just, it would, because it's like the, you have Something. to have the passion. You have the passion for what you're doing. And, you know, that's, seems to be a similar thread. All right. And final. I bet you that, I'm going to, I bet you that corporate law stuff comes in handy. Oh, and you can also say, I'm not a lawyer. Oh, that's right. I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, 
Sometimes I actually do forget. <laughs> like, wait a minute, I am one. All right, final question. I always like to throw this fun one in at the end. What is the last thing you bought online? <laughs> this, there, there may be some irony in the answer to this question. Uh, furniture. I, the other day on Amazon, I, no, it's not furniture, not that. <laughs> uh, sticky notes. So I manage my life in Microsoft Outlook, but I need to have my, I need to have some sticky notes to write, there you go, exactly. Yeah, to write yeah, down yeah. that random stuff that when you're in the middle of a meeting, you're in the middle of a thought or whatever, yep. and some, something pops in your head. I don't have time to digitize that. Just off camera is a whole board full of sticky notes, so I can relate. <laughs> So I try and integrate them into Outlook and create tasks, you know, once I build up more than five. Um, but I have to have those handy. And I just bought a bunch of colors the other day. Uh, my, I, I'm, my a, I'm a, what do you call it? The, someone who's fallen off the wagon of GTD. You ever hear of GTD? Uh, getting things done. It's a method. Okay. Getting, basically, the, the methodology is get it out of your brain and put it somewhere. I'm totally down with that because I, you know, I have a little bit of ADHD and, you know. Yep. So I can't. So these things are a lifesaver. I hear you. I, the amount of emails that I send myself at two in the morning. That oh, I do that too. Yeah. Don't send it this, dummy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, better wrap it up, Josh. This is your platform. Shameless plug. Plug anything you like. Uh, tell people where to find you if you'd like, or just whatever you want to plug. Okay. Quick shameless plug. A webinar series that we talked about earlier. In three one-hour sections, it really covers the full, regardless of where you are in creating an e-commerce strategy on the wholesale side, not the B2C side, which is a, we could do a whole nother topic on that, but in selling to internet retailers, you know, from product selection, choosing the right partners, promotions, two-day delivery, it covers quite a bit in a short amount of time. And it's accessible from the homepage of our website, www.brandjump.com. And I hope you guys, hope you guys come look at it. Awesome. Great. Well, that's it for this episode. Josh, I want to thank you for coming on and keep us in mind. If you have any interesting developments, we'll have you on again. Thank you very much for the time. Really, really right. appreciate it. Thanks, Josh. Great interview. Take care, guys. Thanks for listening. In the Ring is produced and edited by me, John Suter, with production assistance from Brittany Blackman. The show is a production of Sumo Heavy, an e-commerce consulting firm with offices in Brooklyn, New York, and Philadelphia. If you like what you've heard, head over to iTunes and give us a rating. And finally, if you have any comments, suggestions, or ideas for show topics or guests, hit us up on social media channels at Sumo Heavy. If you'd like to learn more about Sumo Heavy, find us on the web at sumoheavy.com. That's it for now. We'll see you next week in the ring.